Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin Kiefer. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. Today we are talking about time. We're wrapping up uh, that tips and tricks series that we've been doing to help our new year get off to a good start. And today, um, I believe, is a very, very important message. Um, And so we're going to begin by doing a little walk through Kevin's history here. I hope we can... That's... uh, that's that's me hiding behind a, a large candle as a one-year-old right there. Uh, I don't really remember that one. This is my brother Andy and I. I was number 75. Cool haircut, right? High school. Kenosha does it better, right? Looking really rad. Yep. Look at that guy. Poor guy. <laughs> it's kind of weird. And then... This is what I looked like when we started this church. Can you imagine? Look at that svelte young man. <laughs> so, and then this is the finished product right here, right? Here, right? So, um, time flies, doesn't it? It is so weird. Sometimes, uh, I, I don't, you know, I don't know how what goes on in your brain, but sometimes I still feel like. That high school Kevin. I don't often feel like the little kid Kevin, but I can slip back into high school mode pretty quickly, which you don't want to be around for that. But it is just so interesting how quickly time is going by for me. Um, I've almost started to want even the winter time to slow down because I don't want to miss a single day uh, in my life and a single day for what the Lord has for me. And I've actually been thinking quite a lot about death, um, not in a morbid way, but just thinking about the end of my life and what I want that to mean. And, um, and I've been thinking about my funeral, to be honest with you guys. And so at my funeral, I hope for a huge attendance, right? I want this, I want a big church. I want to pack that thing out. Um, I hope that there are lots of people coming from every walk of my life. And I hope that they're really, really sad that I'm gone. Not too sad, but really sad that, that I'm gone. And I, I know I could, I could probably do the ancient Jewish practice of hiring professional whalers to mourn for me, but I, Honestly, if I can get it, I want the real thing, right? Um, and I want the service to be long. Um, and I want it to be long because I want uh, a whole bunch of people to tell Kevin is a character stories, right? Like what a character that guy was. And I also want people to share lots and lots of stories about how I um, helped them in life and how I helped them in their their um, <laughs> helped them in their journey with the Lord and how I made a difference in their their walk and um, how I lightened their burden. I um, I hope that there's a whole bunch of pastors that come, and I hope that when they come, that they would say the same thing that that um, I came alongside them and I cheered them on and I lightened the burden of um, of being a shepherd of a group of people and I made their hearts lighter, and I made their churches healthier. I, I hope that that happens. And, um, you know, you guys know how, like, if you've been to a funeral, um, they always put pictures up, right? Uh, you know, like it used to be poster boards, maybe now it's like a scrolling thing. And I want lots of pictures up of, of me. Um, but I don't want any of the pictures. There was like 
a season of about two years where my kids just thought it would be funny to snap a picture of every time I had food in my mouth, right? Like every time I was like, and my eyes were half closed, there's like a million pictures around the Kiefer household of that. And so Molly is going to have to edit all those pictures out, but all the other ones I, I think are going to be just fine. Um, and I just wonder, do you think often or do you think much about the end of your life? Do you think about what you want to be remembered for? And of course, I, I realize that if all of those things are going to happen uh, at my funeral, my life is going to have to really mean something before that. My life is going to have to really mean something in the meantime while I'm still here. And I know that um, it, it ain't over for me yet, but I also know that the majority of my life is gone. I am past the halfway mark. I am on that downhill side of my life. And I, I, I still, it's hard to imagine. It's hard to believe. And the, the, the great Anthony Odinger once said, time flies like an arrow and fruit flies like a banana. <laughs> and he's right on both accounts. <laughs> um, but in scripture, there are two great themes regarding time. There are two great themes regarding time, and they go together. And the two great themes uh, about time that we see in Scripture is that life is short, and we need to live it purposefully. Life is short, and we need to live it purposefully. Psalm 90, this is actually a psalm that, that Moses wrote, and he said this, our life is like a dream that ends when morning comes. We are like grass that grows and looks so fresh in the morning, but in the evening it's dry and dying. How quickly life passes. Life is short. And then Paul wrote in Ephesians, he said, be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Live life purposefully. And here's why this should matter to us. Time is our most precious thing in the, in the, in the purest sense of the word. It's all that we have to work with. Time is our life. And lately, um, you know, if you've been around Thrive for the last three months, we've been making a big deal about money lately. And we've been saying that money is this really, really precious and important commodity. And yet I would say that the time is even more important to us because you can always make more money, but you cannot make more time. Time. Once a moment is passed, once a, a day is passed, once a week is passed, or a month or a year, it is gone, and it is gone for good. We will never get that back again, and when we waste our time, we waste our lives, and we never get that back again, and so the Lord has much to say to us about time in the Bible, and I, I think that if there was a tone to his voice, the tone would be urgent, it would be urgent when he speaks to us about this. There would be an urgency in his voice, and we would do well to recognize that here in our time. And um, my parents have been, you know, uh, connecting with my parents a lot lately. And one of the reasons why I've been connecting with them a lot is because uh, they are now starting to deal with really, really serious physical issues, right? And some not so, you know, not so big and other issues that are really big. And, and the fact that they're old now and that they're starting to deal with this stuff has brought into clarity a reality to me. And that is that, um, that their, their time is short on earth. It wouldn't surprise me at all if within a few years, one or both of my parents could be gone. And so what's the result of this 
sort of new clarity, this new awareness? Well, I'll tell you what's happening. Our relationship is getting better. It's getting better. I'm living more purposefully with, with them. As a matter of fact, I am talking to my mom and dad more now than I ever have since I left the house because I don't want to miss a moment. And when I think back, I think about so often how um, the I love you that I wanted to say or should have said didn't get said because tomorrow was promised. I didn't have to worry about anything. The hug that I could have given and should have given didn't get given because I just thought, you know what, I can always catch them later at a different time. And so now those messages, those I love you's, those hugs, they get said and done all the time, as frequently as I can. And so our relationship is getting better. And that's what happens when our days are numbered, right? And I, I, I just want to ask you, do you ignore the reality and the fact that your days are numbered? David wrote this. He said, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. Each of us is but a breath. Lord, remind us that our days are numbered. Why? Because when we, uh, when we live in that awareness, we live better lives. When we number our days, C.S. Lewis, he actually really understood well God's heart for us and his heart for like how a Christian is to uh, think about time and manage their time. And he said this, if you read history, you'll find out that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. I'm going to read that again. The Christians who did the most in the present world or for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. Teach us to number of days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And what does it mean that we'll gain a heart of wisdom? It means that when we live in the awareness that our days are numbered, we will live better lives. Suddenly we'll know what is important and what we're supposed to be doing. We'll experience more wins. We'll experience more joys. We'll experience more value, more traction, and we'll live with fewer regrets, fewer I wish I would haves. But there, there is, are you guys with me? There is one huge caveat to what I'm saying. There's one giant sort of X factor here uh, that is the difference between a life well-lived and a life squandered, between the difference between time well-spent and time squandered. Uh, there was a person in Scripture, actually, who um, had this humongous heart of wisdom, and he truly numbered his days. There was a guy who thought more about how to live a good life than maybe anybody ever has. And he approached his life with more thoughtfulness, with more planning, with more dedication, with more gusto than maybe anyone ever had. Do you know the guy that I'm thinking about? It's Solomon. Solomon. The safe answer is always Jesus. You could have said that, but for today, it's Solomon, right? So Solomon was, was king of Israel, uh, and he had set out, when he was king, he set out to discover the recipe for building a great life, and he thought, I've got the money, 
I've got the tools, I've got the smarts, I've got the power to construct any kind of life that I want to. And so I'm going to try to make a great life for myself. I'm going to lean into this. And then thankfully, he recorded all of it. He recorded this experiment. And we're going to, we're going to read uh, about this. And what you're going to discover is that he went for it. And when I say he went for it, I, I mean he really went for it. And so here's what Solomon said. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I said to myself, let's go for it. Experiment with pleasure. Have a good time. But there was nothing to it. Nothing but smoke. What do I think of the fun-filled life? Insane. Inane. My verdict on the pursuit of happiness? Who needs it? With the help of a bottle of wine and all the wisdom I could muster, I tried my level best to penetrate the absurdity of life. I wanted to handle, I wanted to get a handle on anything useful we mortals might do during the years we spend on this earth. Oh, I did great things. I built houses. I planted vineyards, designed gardens and parks and planted a variety of fruit trees in them. I made pools of water to irrigate the groves of trees. I bought slaves, male and female, who had children, giving me even more slaves. Then I acquired large herds and flocks, larger than any before me in Jerusalem. I piled up silver and gold, loot from kings and kingdoms. I gathered a chorus of singers to entertain me with song and the most exquisite of all pleasures, voluptuous maidens for my bed. Oh, how I prospered. I left all my predecessors in Jerusalem far behind, left them behind in the dust. And what's more, I kept a clear head through it all. Everything I wanted, I took. I never said no to myself. I gave in to every impulse. I held back nothing. I sucked the marrow out of pleasure out of the pleasure of every task to reward myself for a hard day's work. So Solomon, he set out to discover the recipe for a good life. And if you want to talk about someone who lived his life purposefully, if you want to talk about someone who lived his life with his eyes open, no one did that with more dedication than Solomon did. And so let's Let's look at what he did. He started out by pursuing pleasure. He had huge vineyards and he drank a ton of great wine. And I I don't know about you guys, but I think it would be incredibly fulfilling to drink the wine from the fruit that came from your own vineyard. I mean, that would be a really, really cool thing. I would enjoy doing that. Um, and then he decided that, uh, that he would bring in musicians. He was a lover of music. And for any of us that love music, how amazing would it be to have the money uh, and the, the ability to bring in the best musicians to just provide you with song? I, I always think it's interesting how these huge corporations, Apple Company, will have like you two come in and play for a group of 100 ex- executives or something like that, right? And that's really what Solomon did. He brought in the best musicians to play the best music music for him just to entertain him while he was drinking all of that great wine. And then he decided that he would pursue completely unchecked sexual pleasure. He decided to give himself to everything that he ever dreamed of and to pursue and to pull in any woman that he ever wanted to. First Kings tells us that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And it also says that they led him astray. Go figure, right? Like, You didn't see that coming, Solomon? But there are people in this world that dream of just this kind of thing. And remember, that's what he was trying to do. He was trying to build this great life for himself. 
And so he gave himself to all the women, all the wine, all the music a person could ever desire. In other passages, it says that he gathered just the best cooks and the best food, decadent food, and he just lived this life of lavish luxury. My uh, equivalent to what Solomon was doing is I probably would just golf every single day of my life. Um, And so in addition to this like full-on hedonistic sort of pursuit of pleasure, Solomon tried shopping. Right? He tried shopping and accumulation. He said, I bought slaves, male and female, who had children, giving me even more slaves. And then I acquired large herds and flocks and larger than anyone before me in Jerusalem. I piled up silver and gold, loot from kings and kingdoms. And in today's dollars, they say that Solomon would be probably the richest man on earth. I don't know if the richest guy right now is Jeff Bezos, but he would be the richest person, uh, ever, right? And, Ladies, if you're into shopping, go with Solomon. He was a shopper. He like knew how to do this. He would have a great time, right? And now I know that you might be thinking to yourself, I'm smart enough to know that you can't truly build a great life by just pursuing unchecked pleasure and by accumulating, right? Your life has to have a bigger purpose than that. Well, Solomon tried work as well. And I don't know how accomplished you feel in your vocation, in your work, but Solomon knew he was accomplished. He said this, I did great things. I built houses. I planted vineyards. I designed gardens and parks and planted a variety of fruit trees in them. I made pools of water to irrigate the groves of trees. Solomon literally built a kingdom. He was the most accomplished king on the earth at his time. He actually built one of the uh, seven great ancient wonders of the world, the, the, the Israel's first temple. So he had unchecked pleasure. He had the accumulation of everything anyone could ever want. He was a complete success at work, and he had supernatural brilliance to boot. I mean, it sounds amazing, right? This was his recipe for a good life. And so here was his conclusion at all of this, at the end of all of this. And he said this. Then he took a good look at everything that I'd done. I looked at all the sweat and the hard work. But when I looked, I saw nothing but smoke. Smoke and spitting into the wind. There was nothing to any of it. Nothing. Solomon said, I wasted my time. It was all meaningless. But how is it that everything that Solomon did to build this perfect life, how is it that it could have been a complete waste and a total failure? Well, here's how. Check this out. He said, I drank wine. I pursued pleasure. I acquired. I piled up. I did great things. I prospered. I, 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 I. And looking back, If Solomon were up here instead of me, I think that he would say a life whose only purpose is me and mine is no life at all. A life whose purpose is only me and mine is no life at all. And before you guys nod your head too quickly, I want you to think about how much of your time and your energy you put into building your own kingdom, how much time you put into building up your marriage, your kids. If you think further down the line, maybe you're already thinking about your grandchildren, something like that. How much of our lives do we spend on me and mine? But Solomon discovered that a life whose only purpose 
or maybe even whose greatest purpose is me and mine is really no life at all. And we will all need to come to a moment in time, a crisis point, a fork in the road where we have to decide how we will use the time that we have on earth. And, and I said the time because it is not our time. It is God's time. God can demand our life back to him at any moment if he chooses to. And so here's the truth. Here's the reality. The only way to live a life well spent is to understand that our lives have a purpose. And the purpose is not us. The purpose of our lives is not you and it's not me. It is God. Your purpose on this earth is not your glory. It's God's glory. It's his glory. Your purpose on this, on this planet is not your comfort. It is that God could use you to bring comfort to those that he cares about. Your life has a purpose. You and I were made for something. And that something is defined not by us, not by our desires, but by God, our heavenly father. Can I get an amen? Okay, thank you. Good. In the Greek New Testament, our, you know, our time is short, right? That's the other key thing. Our time is short for us to live into our true purpose. And in the, in the Greek New Testament, there are two words for time. The first one is chronos, and chronos is simply minutes. It's, it's just moments. It's the ticking talk, clock, right? It's just time passing by. But the other word for time, and it's all over the New Testament, is kairos. Kairos. Uh, and kairos is an appointed time. It is a specific moment. It is a, a window of opportunity that you and I have And again, Paul writes, be careful how you will live. Not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time. The kairos moment, that's kairos, because the days are evil. So do not be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not become weary in doing good. Don't get tired of it. Don't leave it behind for the, at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, Kairos, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. The message of scripture is that you and I live in a Kairos moment, a unique and fleeting window of time, a moment, an opportunity, a brief second where we can make a difference in this world, a brief second where our lives can be used by God to accomplish his amazing purposes on the earth. And then that time is over. All you and I have is the present, our bits of time exist in one thing, and that is the present. Your past is behind you. You will never get this morning back again. It is already gone. Last year is already gone. And the future isn't here yet. And in some ways, it will never come. It's not guaranteed. People are surprised every single day that the, the long future that they thought they had isn't coming to pass. We are surprised every day. The futures of our parents and our spouses and our kids and our friends, they all can often come more quickly than we thought that they would. All that you and I have is this one Kairos moment, this one moment in time. And lest you would say to yourself, church, that you're with God. I'm with God. I don't have to worry about this stuff. I'm saved. Grace covers me. I'm content with my life. I'm content with the way I'm living with my life. And I'm sure that he is too. I'm sure he's fine with me doing doing what I'm doing. I want you to make no mistake that he has work for us to do. He has a job for you and I to do. 
planned, pre-planned, planned for you before you were even a twinkle in your parents' eye. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, we are God's handiwork. That is his workmanship. His, it actually means like his poem, right? We're this thing that God has written out. He's written out a plan for your life. We are his handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And I believe, church, that every God-given thing that we faithfully live out and every God-ordained thing that we ignore or turn our backs on will be brought to light when we stand face-to-face with God and we will be asked to give an account for how we spent our life. Romans 2 says this, God will repay each person according to what they have done. In the book of Revelation, uh, the Apostle John uh, saw and heard this, and he says, I, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which was the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. And of course, Jesus, you guys, is our, our great example. And when Jesus lived his life, he looked back as he was nearing the cross, and he Look back and he said this to the father. He said, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. You and I have work to do. It's ordained. You have yours and I have mine. And there will come a day when we will answer for the daily choices that we make. I'm not talking about salvation. Salvation covers us. God's grace covers us. We, if we've put our faith in Christ, we are in. That's not shakable. But there will be a day when we stand in our held account for how we lived this life in him. And Solomon will look at us one day and he'll say, I tried everything. I tried to live for myself and there is not a thing that you could ever do for yourself that can hold a candle for living into your true purpose, which is to live for the glory of God and for the good of his people. And so I just want to ask you to not, this is a caution, don't give away more than God asks you to give. That's not what I'm saying, but I want to ask you to not give away less. Don't do less than what he asks. I'm going to wrap it up with um, what I hope will be helpful to you. Let me just read this again. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of your time. Make the most of it, church, because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so I'm going to give you a framework for understanding the will of the Lord for your life. And what I want you to do is I want you to think about your life for a moment just in seasons, okay? You are in a season of life right now. We all are. I think the expanse of trying to, trying to, you know, sort of, fathom the the entire expanse of our life is too much, but you are in a season in this moment and God is at work in this season. And so what I want to do is I want to give you four questions for you to ponder. And I actually, I saw a couple of people taking pictures. That's exactly what I was going to ask you to do. Get your phone out, check Twitter, see what's happening. Um, get your phone out, take a picture of this. I'm going to read these. I want you to think about the season of your life that you're in. And I want you to do business with the Lord this week. And I want you to ponder these questions. And it may be that, that um, you can do quite a bit of this in one sitting. It may be that this is something that you take in over the next few weeks. But this is our time sheet. 
And the first question is, is what is God calling me to do to serve him in his kingdom? This is the God ordained work that I'm made to do. Every single follower of Jesus, every disciple of Jesus is created to serve the king and his kingdom. What is the God work that you are being called to do in this season? The second question is this. What is God's calling on me for my development in Christ-likeness? This is our sanctification. What is the, the stuff, the, the healing, the wholeness, the repenting? What is the transformation, transforming work? I should invent a transformation. The transforming work that God is wanting to do in your heart in this season. I believe that God is up to something. He has plans to, to make you become more like Jesus, to make you more free, more strong. What is God's calling for my development in Christ likeness? Number three, what is God's calling on me for my family, whoever your family is? What is he asking so that we would be everything that we were made to be, created to be for our families? You can define that any way that you want to, but God works through family. He works through family. What is he calling you to be and to do and to manifest in your family life? And finally, number four, as you see it, what is God's calling on me for my vocation? This is your work life. For us Americans, work is important. It's huge. And God is there. And he has plans for you. And he has purpose for you, purposes for you. God ordained moments there. Does that make sense? All right. Why don't we stand up? I think it might be um, might be good and appropriate. Um, you know that this concept of of repenting is the idea that that we are going in a certain direction in our thinking, we're going in a certain direction in our behavior, and then we connect with the Lord and He readjusts us. He causes us to turn to turn back to him, to turn in the direction of, of what he's inviting us to, what he's calling us to. And so repentance is actually a really powerful thing. It's a recalibrating thing. And so um, let's take a moment here to just offer our heart, our life back to the Lord, our time back to the Lord, which is our life. I'm just going to give you a moment to um, hear from the Spirit of God. I'm going to give you a moment to repent where if there is any place in your life where you have lived cavalierly, if you've lived um, apart from God's purposes, if you've been building your own kingdom rather than God's kingdom, if you've lived with just a casual approach and you may have squandered this incredibly Amazing superpower, which is your life, your time. Now is the time to offer it back to God. So, Lord, we come before you, acknowledging these superpowers, which are our lives. You said that you created us just <laughs> a little lower little lower, Lord, than, than uh, you know, you. And uh, Father, I just pray that we would, um, that we would have open eyes 
I pray that we would cherish our time, that we would cherish our moments, that we would use them for your glory. That we would be thoughtful. That we would be dedicated to using our short time on earth well. And Lord, if we've missed it, we simply repent in this moment. We just say, I'm sorry, Lord. I, I missed it. And I want to live for your glory. Holy Spirit, would you just rest on each one of us and speak? Speak.